Our guest on the, today's podcast is Nicole Greer, PPCC, which stands for Professional Path Certified Coach. And she is on a mission to energize, impact, and influence individuals to lead a more vibrant life through engaging what is possible and making it probable. She is a certified coach, an entrepreneur, and a race car driver. She races to work. She races to see her clients. She races to home to love on her family and tries not to be on a first name basis with the local state police. Uh, she loves the race to win in life and business. Let's please welcome Nicole Greer. So Nicole, thank you so much for being here. It is a pleasure to have you on our show today. Let me just start off with our first general question. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your business. Where have you been and, and what have you been up to? Yeah, I appreciate being on the show so much, Steve. So I am, you know, called the vibrant coach, all right, because when I come in a room, I bring a ton of energy because I'm all about, uh, you know, shedding light in little dark places, meaning that um, I think people have so much potential, but they're, they're not really aware of it. And so as a coach, my job is to help people kind of light up little parts of their brain, parts of their heart, dare I say it, parts of their soul, so that they realize, you know, that they have um, a real true calling and mission in life. Just like you introduced me with my mission statement, I'm a big believer that everybody was put on planet Earth for a reason. And so I work with individuals to figure that out. But then I also work with organizations to help them look for potential in individuals and help people uh, learn to take on leadership uh, characteristics so that they can grow and lead and, you know, enlarge the, the vision and the mission for the organization as well. So that's what I do. That's what I've been up to. And um, I absolutely adore my work. That is fantastic. You know, and, and I've seen your website and I know you are the vibrant coach. Yeah. I don't know if that's the official term for that, um, but how did, you know, you certainly bring a lot of energy whenever I've met you and seen you and, and Nicole and I have been part of Toastmasters for quite a while and yeah. um, and that's where I first got a chance to, to meet and experience Nicole's energy and enthusiasm. Why don't yeah. you tell us a little bit about how you came up with the Vibrant Coach and, and maybe a little background on, on how your coaching business evolved. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my first career, I was in the restaurant business. Okay, so I'm gonna go to the way back just for a quick moment. Uh, and you know, here's the thing about working in the restaurant business is if you've got a good attitude and a little bit of energy, you'll go a really long way in the restaurant business. <laughs> so I learned to, to be around people and to serve people and to, you know, wait on them literally hand and foot. And then my second career, I got into property management. And the way that that happened was I was being my vibrant self uh, with the person that was sitting in my station at the Applebee's. And that person said to me, have you ever thought about doing property management? I was like, what's that? You know, I don't know. I'm 20, whatever years old. And they explained to me, well, we run beautiful luxury apartment communities. And I said, well, that sounds like fun. And so I think it's those girls that drive the golf cart around the property and show people their homes. I'm like, I could drive a golf cart. That's no problem at all. So I got a job doing that. And, you know, the thread that's run throughout my entire life is that it's always been in serving people kind of where they where they're living their lives, whether it's sitting down to eat a meal or whether they make their home in the apartment community that I manage. And so, you know, I think people just can tell if you care. 
you know? Yep. And so I have just cared a lot about people for a very long time. I and mean, it almost make me tear up because I just, I just think that, you know, the one thing we have to, to fix all the ills on planet earth is the potential inside of people. And so I have just been working on serving people for a really long time, but then I stayed home with my children for about eight years. And here's the, here's the truth about me and me being a mother. I bore it easy. So as soon as they both got on the bus, I was like, what am I going to do all day? The house is clean. I've been to the grocery store. What else is there to do? <laughs> so I uh, went and got my coach training certificate and I went out to Arizona and we had this big 16 week long training that we went through and the master coach, Dave, did a kind of a closing ceremony. And in that closing ceremony, Steve, he said, uh, we're gonna write down one word for every person in this class. And it's gonna be the word that best describes that individual. And the word that I got, like almost everybody wrote down was the word vibrant, which I thought that's not a, it's not a normal word. They could have written, she's nice or whatever, <laughs> but they wrote, wrote the word vibrant. And so I was like, Eureka. That is what I'm going to call my company because I just really want to help people, you know, turn on, you know, that little light that's inside of them um, so that they can bring their genius to the world. Because, you know, I really believe that like, if we look at Steve or we look at your partner, John Sanchez, or we look at, you know, the people that are in our lives, they've got a unique ability and a talent. And if you can find out what that is, I think we could, like I said earlier, cure what's what's wrong in the world. Like everybody needs to figure out what they're supposed to be doing with their life. So that would be really helpful. And that's how I got the name. And that is, you know, vibrant is such a, I think such a powerful word. It it's is. not just, it's not a run of the mill type word. It's not something that's used in everyday language, uh, but it does kind of exude that positive vibration, if you will. Uh, of being vibrant and I wish more of us were vibrant <laughs> because well, I, would... <laughs> that's my whole mission in life is to help people I'm going to move the screen just real quick because there's something I am looking for okay here it is I know that was messy we're not supposed to do things like that but can I can I tell you something that I that I talk about sometimes when I give presentations can I talk about this first please do yes. okay so I, I always tell people when I'm talking to them, I'm like, you know, trying to explain vibrant. And I say, okay, so let's pretend that we're going to have a meeting today. Okay. And it's the same group of people you always work with. We're, we're going to have this meeting, but like, it, it's like fresh. It's new. It's just been announced. You don't, you don't know why we're having this meeting. You're just told, go to the conference room at one o'clock. All right. So you get there first. You're the first one in the room. You're curious who's coming to the meeting. What's this meeting about? Well, you walk in the room and you sit down, you take your place and in walks the first person. And you see this person and you look at them and you think to yourself, oh, this is going to be a great meeting. This is going to be a great meeting because this person is here. Steve Karski is in this meeting. This is going to be awesome because Steve has ideas. Steve knows how to take feedback. He knows how to give feedback. He knows how to be um, uh, somebody who uh, can generate ideas, but, you know, do somebody else's, take the back seat. He's full of character. He's an awesome guy. Okay. Then there's this person that comes in the room. You see that? <laughs> okay. Well, or you a little ray of pitch black. Okay. And this person comes in the room. You are all the way up the feeling scale. You're like, oh, we're going to get a lot done. I don't even know what we're working on, but because Nicole's here and Steve's here and John's here, it's going to be awesome. But then that person walks in and the three of us 
lose it because we know this person will derail everything. And see, that's what vibrant is, is that somebody who's going to get in there and get her done. So, you know, that's how I explain it. I, I hope that landed for you. I think that is fantastic. I think, unfortunately, I think we all know that person who's or has experienced that situation <laughs> where somebody comes in the room and all of a sudden it's like, boy, we've just turned it into a different meeting than what we expected. That's right. The... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now, within your coaching and, and on your website, you talk about this shine approach to coaching. And can you tell us what is shine? What's it about? How did you get started with that? And uh, give us kind of a high level overview of what what that is all about. Yeah, so I, um, of course, got trained formally in coaching, and there are a lot of coaching methodologies out there. And I, I use pieces and parts of these different coaching methodologies, you know, but essentially what a coach is supposed to do is sit, sit down with a human being and say, you know, what do you want to do? What do you really want? Okay. And that's the name of my little TED talk. I encourage you to go out and watch my little TEDx talk. Uh, it's called, what do you really want by Nicole Greer? And it's, it's five years old, but it just, I keep getting hits on it. So go watch this thing. But anyways, so it's about figuring out what you really want. Now here's the problem, Steve. Most people say to me, uh, when I ask them, what is it that you want to work on? And they say, I don't know. And I'm like, well, what do you, what do you hear for coaching if you don't want something more than what your life is currently? And, and that's the potential that I'm trying to help people realize is inside of them. Now, some people confuse this untapped potential with like, that sounds like a lot of work. Okay. Now there, yes. therein lies the disconnect because the reality is is if you are doing work you adore and work you love, it's that old adage, you've not, you'll never work a day in your life if, mm -hmm. if you figure out what it is you're born to do or what you really want. And, and so that's what I'm trying to do. So the shine coaching methodology helps you kind of figure out the I don't know part because that, that's really the, the, the place where people are stuck. When people say, oh, I'm stuck, it's right there with I don't know what I want. So the SHINE coaching methodology is S-H-I-N-E, it's an acronym, and the first part is self-assessment. So I, in my coaching process, I do a ton of self-assessment with people. They can take personality profiles, character profiles, emotional intelligence profiles. They can take change readiness profiles. I mean, I got a laundry list, you know, everything from Myers-Briggs to DISC to PEP to whatever. Um, we keep looking at what is going on with me? What is it like? And here's my, here's a very powerful question. I'm going to throw this one out. Not only is it, uh, what do you really want a powerful question, but another powerful question is, um, what is it like to experience me? Mm. Okay. Which goes back to the vibrant thing. So when people experience right. me, like, Nicole is vibrant. Now, some people listening to this podcast would be like, she seems loud. She seems overdone. She seems too much, you know? Okay. I might not be for you, but there's a whole tribe of people who want to be around me. Right. And then there's, there's somebody else for that other person. Right. So you got to figure out who your tribe is as well with your mission. But so I do self-assessment. So I help people figure out what it's like to experience them. Then I help them put habits in place that will help them 
figure out what their mission is, what their vision is, and get themselves moving in a positive direction. I help them work on their integrity, which we can talk about that if you want to. That's a whole can of worms. Um, and then I help them figure out next right steps, which is goal setting. And then I help them figure out their energy. And a big part of their energy is their emotional intelligence. Like as you pursue this big dream, how are you going to handle your emotions around it? So S-H-I-N-E, that's what it is. That sounds wonderful. So as as you created that, and uh, and I love your discussion of the assessments because that's really where we always have to start whenever we're trying to get from A to Z. You know, I, I sometimes will use a, an, an example of a GPS and how can a GPS direct you somewhere if it doesn't know where you are now? You know, you have to know where you start from in order to get somewhere else. So let me, I'm going to ask you a question that, uh, that I've heard from different people and asked different people, but sometimes people say, oh, I know exactly what I want, but what they want is so vague that it's like, I want to improve my personality or I want to um, make more money. You know, it, it's such a vague goal. How do you get those folks really focused in on, on how to um, really hone in on, on what the real goal is? Yeah. So I, I would say the number one tool for that in a coach's toolbox is asking powerful questions. And so, you know, a, a lot of people are confused. I, I can tell you a quick story. One time I had this gal read my contract and in the contract uh, to do coaching, it says, you know, the coach does not advise, the coach does not do this, the coach does not do that. Um, and she's like, well, what do you do then? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, you got to understand what coaching is. Okay. Now I, I do sometimes advise or tell my clients things, but it's only after I ask permission, right? Because the purest form of coaching is that I'm supposed to ask you questions that get your light to turn on. That's the shine. That's the vibrant to get this brain turned on. And, and here's the truth, Steve, we're, we're all just a little bit lulled to sleep by the world that we live in. I mean, we've got these smartphones and computers and there's all these opinions and things coming at us. Um, so it's, it's like more like we're in receiver mode uh, and generation mode. And, and the coach helps you generate some fresh thinking. So I uh, work with a lady named Ann Sturette. Have you ever met Ann Sturette? I don't believe so. Okay, she was in our Toastmasters. The reason I asked that. So, so Ann uh, is a mentor to me. And she uh, works with an organization called Contemplative Outreach. And one of the teachings inside of uh, Contemplative Outreach, um, it said it had a statistic in there. And that's where I got this from. And it said that, you know, people have like 15,996 thoughts a day. Now, don't ask me how they figured it out. I don't know. <laughs> but out of these 15,000, 16,000 thoughts, the average adult, the percentage of fresh thinking in a day is only about 10%. Now, if you step back from that and you think about it, you're like, that's probably right. Because you get up same time, you, you know, pad your little self down to the, to the kitchen, you get your coffee, you do whatever you do in the morning and you get up, you go to work, you see him or her and either they're a ray of pitch black or they're, you know, a light <laughs> or whatever. It's all the same stuff. But like to think about what could I create? What, what could I innovate? What, you know, and that is the name of the game in corporate America right now is like, 
how are we going to survive if we don't innovate and create? So it's really about, you know, getting that thought process going and you've got to ask powerful questions to get people there. So, you know, if anybody listening to this has ever been in sales class, it's like asking really good open-ended questions. That's right. That's the only way to get people to think of closed-ended questions, simply yes or no answer is not going to move their brain to think. And, and oftentimes, you know, like you talked about, a good, effective question moves their mind to a new, new place. And, that's right. And that sounds like what you do when you coach, coach folks. Yeah, so well, can you, you tell know, us? Go ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say, there's, no, there's another please, TED please. Talk out there, um, and I will have to Google it, but I will Google it. But um, the gentleman that does it, uh, he's, it's from Arizona, Dr. He'll come to me. But he talks about your brain and he talks about the fact that you have in your brain, you have neurons. We all know we have these cells called neurons and that they weave together and they make uh, passageways. And that's how like you drive to work and you're like, whoa, I just drove to work and I don't even like really think I was thinking about driving to work, <laughs> right? Or like I said, coming down and making the coffee, it's all manual because your, your brain has wired this mess together, right? Well, when you get asked a powerful question about your career, about your life, about your dreams, about your goals, it starts to break these apart and, and help you find a new passageway. Um, and, and my daddy used to call it, you know, you need to get rid of your stinking thinking. It's not very technical, but that's exactly what happens in coaching is like, I can't do anything. Oh, I could do this. That's what <laughs> happens to people, right? They're like, oh, you know, if you think that's possible. And then we, then we start to set, you know, the next right steps, which is the end in the coaching methodology. Right. So how would you exactly do that? You know, and that's where you might ask permission to tell, well, here's what you could do. You know, I do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is, you know, the one thing that is so interesting, if you've done any research or read anything about the brain is the brain is uh, such an interesting piece of equipment that we have. And I think I read a, I read a book and I think the name of it was How Your Brain Works. And it basically said that uh, your brain loves habits. It loves things that because it takes no energy to do the same thing over and over and over again but it takes energy to make a change and that's why it's hard to break habits because your brain needs more energy which is work for your brain and your brain would prefer the path of least resistance like we all would that's right and it's dr joe dispenza there it is yeah go watch his ted talk too you will love it he has some and he's got some good books i've read his uh uh one of his books um thank you for bringing that up yeah absolutely so why don't you tell us a little bit about your own personal uh, goal setting approach? How do you, you know, for your own business, what do you do to get things moving from a goal setting standpoint? Okay. Well, first of all, I just love being an entrepreneur. Uh, I am a huge advocate for people being entrepreneurial. You know, uh, when I talk to folks and they're upset about working for somebody else, I'm like, well, what could you, what, what can you create? Okay. And so here is the deal uh, with goal setting is that you just have to pick something. What do you really want out there? And you have to practice three perspectives, which is another thing that a coach can help you with is help you look at things from three different perspectives. So the first perspective is an introspective, right? So I always invite people out to the future, right? So if I said, you know, Steve, 
what would need to happen or be happening in your life three years from today for you to be really happy? Okay, so that's just a basic question about being happy. But if mm -hmm. I said that about your business, you would probably say, well, I'd like to be making X amount of more money. I'd like to have an employee that does this task because I don't like that task and I wish this and I wish that. And so you would come up with these lists of things and very simply, we would write it down on a piece of paper and say, this is our goal for three years or one year or whatever target you pick. And then we would do a retrospective. All right. So this is where it gets kind of interesting. Um, you would go out to the future and you would talk about that day. So let's imagine in the future, Steve has a personal assistant who does all his errands for him, answers all his email, and all Steve does is podcasting and content development all day long. And the rest is just arranged for him. And he gets Starbucks every day at three o'clock. Okay, so you can have whatever you want in the future. Okay, whatever it is you want. So we get that. And then we turn around, once we're out in the future, we turn around and we look back to the present. Okay, so now we're gonna make a memory of the future which is weird, but fabulous. Okay. So we're out in the future and we look back to the present and we say, well, there's Steve doing his own email. There's Steve with no Starbucks at three o'clock. Okay. What is it going to take to get that to happen? Well, then we would determine, okay, well, if we had an assistant that was that good, that's going to cost us $50,000 a year or whatever. And we would start to determine all the criteria around the story that you tell me of your future self. And so we would write down, here's all the things that have to happen in order to get us here. And so now we're taking these big goals and we're breaking them down. So now once we get back to the present, we're gonna take our retrospective and our prospective and put it together, or excuse me, our introspective and our retrospective and put it together and make a prospective, which is these are the things that are gonna propel us, prospective, propel, move us forward. And so we write those down. We have to put them in actionable chunks that are something we're going to look at. Now, here's where people go wrong with goal setting. They don't revisit the goals after they make them. Mm -hmm. or They don't have an accountability partner. There's where the magic is. And so start figuring out how to make 50 extra thousand dollars a year. Because we know if he makes an extra 50 that pays for the assistant, he'll put out more content that will make $200,000 a year. So we got to get all this figured out, but it's so much fun. And I don't know why people don't do it. Isn't that fun just to think about it? It is. It is fun to think about it. It's fun to imagine it. It's also fun to implement it. But sometimes it is hard to not get caught up with all the stuff going on today. Because like you said, without that accountability partner or without that sense of accountability from somewhere, it's going to be something that you set aside because I just don't have time today to implement something uh, because I'm just too busy, whatever the case might be. That's right. And you know what that's called? An excuse. And, and typically a lousy one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because it's like, how many episodes of whatever did you watch this week? You know? I mean, so, uh, it, it's, it's like, uh, you know, putting, you know, and, and really the bottom line of goal setting is once you've written it down, you've got an accountability partner. There's got to be pockets of time on the on the calendar where you actually doing what you say you're going to do. I mean, like you and I put this on the calendar. It's two o'clock. It is Monday. It is November 30th. We could be like, you know, it's the holidays. <laughs> 
we should have eggnog instead. But instead, we are like working right now. And it's a conscious choice because you and I both know um, that the information we're going to talk about today will be valuable to somebody. And then that will serve them. And don't miss this. When you're serving others, then you usually get a little bit of what you want. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. That's, that's the law of reciprocity at work, which is a real law. Yeah, yeah, that is fantastic. You know, Nicole, one of the things I've seen from you or things where places I've seen you in is you've been a part of different organizational pieces like uh, the ATD organization, for example. I think I saw you were on or are on a uh, an agenda for one of their their topics. So you get invited to a lot of those types of things to do things like leadership training and so on. Can you tell us a little bit about your maybe the the leadership stuff that you're involved in and, and how you got started there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, uh, John Maxwell, which hello, if you don't know who John Maxwell is, Google it, YouTube it, buy all the books, drink the Kool-Aid, do it. Okay. So leadership, John Maxwell says, is uh, rises and or wait, excuse me. Hold on, let me get it. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And like, we all know this to be true. Okay. So for example, the first thing you experience in leadership is like your parents. All right. And right. I don't know what your story is. I had a very fun, dysfunctional father. That was, that's my story. Okay. <laughs> now I learned how to be fun. And part of my vibrancy, I think I get from him because he was, you know, a really f too much fun. Okay. He was just so fun. So he's a fun guy. So I watch him and I don't know why, but somehow I figured out, Oh, when he does these things, he wins. And when he does those things, he loses. Right. So like, I just kind of had like a thing in my wow. mind where I could kind of look at oh, that behavior gets you a good outcome and that behavior gets you a terrible outcome. So I tried to only do the things that were good that he did was good. Right? <laughs> okay. And, and here's the truth about people who run businesses and people who manage others, that thing is going on inside of employees, right? They look at you and they go, Oh, when Nicole does that, she gets this outcome. And when Nicole does that, she gets that outcome. So there, you know, there's no hiding from the fact that in the workplace, you're a leader. And when I say leader, I don't mean that you actually do have to manage. Um, let me be clear. You could manage and lead others, or you could be a peer, right? Just somebody mm -hmm. who has the same job as me, but I watch you and you're leading me just because I'm watching you. Okay. Right. So that's why integrity is the I in my shine coaching methodology. Maybe we'll circle back there. But the thing about leadership is, is again, I think that everything does rise and fall on leadership. And so if we can develop people uh, to bring their best self to influence others positively uh, in a vibrant way, that, that we would really, we would really excel at business. Um, you know, I, I, I know that pe you've heard this one before, uh, people quit not because of the job, but because of their boss. Right. That's um, right. It, and you know, the thing is, it's like, let's say that today we all got uh, raptured out of here, you know, and we were gone from the planet. No business would get done. 
it's it's not the building it's the humans in the business it's the humans in the organization whether it be the red cross or the church or the duke power or whatever it is it, it's the people that are inside of it and so the way i got started was just talking like this because <laughs> people are like she's right you know and so this whole thing about you know teaching people some very basic skills um, of leadership. And, and here's what I believe. I, I got told I was wrong the other day. So I'm going to check in with you, Steve Karski, and get your opinion. Uh, I said a lot of people get promoted because they were a good technician, but they have no idea how to manage people. Do you think that's true? I said oh, absolutely. That oh, okay. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, you can look at... Um, People such as um, look at some professional athletes, for example, uh, who comes to mind is Wayne Gretzky, phenomenal hockey player, didn't wasn't phenomenal as a coach. There's some much better coaches who were terrible hockey players. So I think the skill set for each of those is different. Leading people is certainly a different component than being a technical. And I don't know if you've been experienced this situation. I've been in places where the best salesperson became a sales manager. And oftentimes sales went down because they knew how to sell, but they didn't know how to lead. And there is a big, big difference between those two skill sets. Yeah, 100%. So it, it's kind of like, you know, if you're going to promote somebody, the first thing you need to do is get them a coach or send them to leadership training or put them in a position where they're going to have some, buy them a John Maxwell book, whatever, you know, put them in a position where they're going to learn a little bit about leadership. Because here, here's the, here's the first thing I teach when I work with a leader. I'm like, what's your leadership philosophy? And, the, and again, it's just, it's one of the, those powerful questions like, you know, like I don't have one of those and it's like, okay, well, let's figure it out. And, you know, the way this kind of came to me about a leadership philosophy, can I tell you a quick story about Captain Please. Jim? Okay. So, uh, so I get to speak, I'm so blessed. I get to work with a lot of firefighters and police officers. Um, that's one of the groups I work with, like why Nicole Greer, I have no idea, but it just kind of happened. And, uh, so I went to the conference that I was speaking at and uh, I always go early, Steve, because I want to uh, see what's going on and, you know, talk to some folks in the crowd, make some friends so that when I get up there, I at least know three, four or five names. Sure. So I, I, I get there and Captain Jim, okay, I'm not going to tell you his last name, but Captain Jim, who's a firefighter and has been for a very long time. Okay. And so the, let me tell you who the captain is. The captain is the guy that sits in the passenger seat in the engine. He's not the driver, that's the engineer. Okay. And so he's the captain and he's running the ship. He's on the walkie talkie or the cell phone or whatever it is now. And he is running the running the truck. Okay. He gets to the scene, he runs the scene. So <laughs> Captain Jim says, now let me tell you something. You all need to let your people know that you've got likes and dislikes. And he says, so here's what I suggest to you men and ladies, you know, because there's like a smattering of five ladies in the group. Mm -hmm. And he says, so hang this sign next to your door. These things make me happy. You know, be on time, wear your uniform, do this, do this, do that. And then he says, and you'll have to excuse my language. He says, then on the other side of the, 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 the doorway, you put a sign that says, these things piss me off. And you make a list. And he says, and then you will have set expectations. And that's what you need to do as a leader. And that was his whole speech. <laughs> Any questions?
kids. And, you know, I thought to myself, well, you know, he drilled it way down, but it's got a lot of value, what the guy's sure. saying. So, because people don't always know our expectations that's as that. leaders. Oftentimes, we just lead because we assume people know what they're supposed to do, or we assume they know what we know. Uh, that's right. And, you know, do, I mean, do you have this happen to you, Steve? I have leaders say, I just don't understand the way they're thinking. And I'll oh, be like, absolutely. well, did you tell them how to think? <laughs> and people will say, I shouldn't have to do that. Wait, yeah. hold on. That's the whole job of leadership <laughs> is to tell people how to think. Because here's the thing. Vision is is nothing but thinking. Mm-hmm. Visioning is thinking. It's equal signs, synonymous. And so if you don't tell people how to see the future, how to approach the future, you know, all of that, then then they aren't going to know. And and you know what happens when you make an assumption. I won't go there. But Absolutely. That's what's happening, right? As leaders assume, we assume people can lead and we assume people know what to do. That's exactly right. And if you've ever been a part of any team, uh, especially when you've led teams. It's a situation where uh, I've had many conversations with leaders about this component. And it is, you know, I told them I wanted we, us to start doing this process in this way, starting tomorrow. And tomorrow comes and everybody's doing it the old way, even though I told them in the meeting that we're going to be changing to a new way. Well, we can't tell a message one time and expect people to get it. We've got to make multiple attempts to, to let them know. So even with things like our mission and vision in our companies, can't just say, hey, here's our mission. Here's our vision. Now, I never have to bring it up again. You guys know where we're going. <laughs> Go forward. We've got to keep repeating that to people because it's it's important to us. It's ingrained in us as leaders, not always something that is ingrained in them. So that, yeah, is, absolutely. Uh, that is a great point. I yeah. want to go back to something else you talked about, and you touched on the integrity piece, but I want to kind of bring it to light maybe in a, a little different way. Let's talk a little bit about mindset, because I think mindset has, has some bearing on that. You know, as, as a coach and as someone who does a lot of training and leadership uh, concepts and so on, how do, you, how do you help folks? What are some of the keys that you found really help folks shift their mindset when it's been that dark cloud in the room and how do you get that person to to become part of the team and and so on what's your thoughts on mindset okay so a couple of things what first one is is there's a book by carol dweck this is okay so let me just say this if you're gonna have a great career and it's gonna last a long time and you want to make more money and here's the scoop on making more money you can't make more money unless you take on more responsibility sorry so so you have to um uh get a library cooking okay so you you've got to have a library I, i've got a whole library here my husband's like amazon came i'm like i know i'm adding to the library so you got to have this library so carol dweck uh wrote a book about mindset so i want you to get this book and read it cover to cover all right so it will help you with your children it will help you with your spouse it will help you with your business um so in the book she talks about having a growth mindset and a growth mindset is a mindset that it wants to learn it wants to learn and, and that's so essential. So I'll tell you a quick, a quick story. This morning, I was talking to somebody 
about the fact that I was going to be speaking uh, on Wednesday at the ATD 2020 Day of Learning, Day of Learning, don't miss that. And um, we were talking about technology. And the, the one guy makes this like flip comment. And he says, oh, well, if people at this point of COVID haven't figured out how to Zoom, we have a problem. But if, if somebody does, it'll be a senior leader. And everybody's like, yeah, probably. And I was like, they, I mean, like, there's like a little, you know, view into our current world, right? So like the senior leader doesn't continue to learn. He relies on everybody else or he just doesn't think he should have to or she has to or whatever. Um, but having a growth mindset is like, you understand that you have to learn to have a path to mastery. And so that's the thing about integrity that's so, so important um, is that you've got to have... Um, this, this mental model that I'm not done yet. Like until they put me in a box or a jar that I'm not, you know, if I pop off the planet I'm, to the very last day, I'm going to try to keep up with what's going on in the world. And I'm going to continue to learn and develop myself. I mean, I, I, almost, I think that is a human responsibility. You know, if you're popped on planet earth, that's what you need to be doing with yourself. People who, you know, they get through school and they're like, I'm done with that. So now I'm going to watch Netflix. I mean, I'm all about Netflix, but you got to have a, another book you're reading. You got to have another thing you're feeding yourself with. So I believe in a growth mindset. The other mindset that I believe in is this idea of, of character development. And um, what I was going to say about integrity is that, you know, people are delusional about integrity, Steve. So if I said, uh, don't, don't answer this, Steve. But if I asked you, I said, hey, Steve, are you a man of integrity? You know, immediately you're going to say yes. Okay. That's what we all are trained to do. Yes. I'm a woman of integrity, but here's the truth. I'm not always in integrity. Dare I even say these words? Cause I fall in and out of integrity with every thought I think with every little nasty or whatever comes out of here, or I might be a little flip or short or blunt with somebody, you know, whatever my personality quirks are. I got to work on that and work on that and work on that. So I think the mindset that I got to be even more in integrity today than I was yesterday is essential. Absolutely essential. So I'd say integrity and growth. And I think that is a great point. I think they both work very well together. And, and kind of the point you're making, Nicole, is that piece of integrity that uh, I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking, no, I'm, I've got integrity. Well, here's my question for them is, how many times have you set a goal, told people you're going to make the goal and you didn't do it? That is nothing but integrity. It's not committing. It's not following through your commitments. And sometimes we overcommit. Sometimes we say we can do these, you know, I'm going to make a million dollars by three o'clock today. Well, <laughs> you know, you better get busy <laughs> because you don't That's have right. much time. Uh, sometimes you overcommit and, and maybe take on a challenge that might be too big for you. That is also a part of integrity. You have made a commitment to something you really know in the back of your mind is probably not going to happen. So uh, that integrity piece is, is really a great, uh, great component. And I guess I'll ask around that. Um, how do you how do you use that in your coaching component oh. um, from an integrity standpoint? Is that just making sure they keep their promises, keep their commitments? Is it bigger than that? Is it all part of their character? Tell us a little more about that. 
it, it, it's bigger than that. Um, so there is a lady over in Raleigh. Her name is Pam Boney. You should have her on your podcast. And she developed this um, model called the Tilt. All right. And if you go to um, Nicole Greer, the Vibrant Coach YouTube, I did a whole one hour thing for uh, the Association of Change Management Professionals. And it's on my YouTube channel, but it will and it will explain the tilt kind of uh, in a quick one hour way. But essentially um, what it what it tells you is there's like four meta factors to integrity. Now, depending on your personality, you like certain characteristics in people because that's how you're hardwired. Okay. So for example, I like people to be vibrant, you know, which is um, going to be somebody who's like a change catalyst, somebody who's got a lot of resilience and somebody who loves to connect with people. Right. So right. that that's kind of who I am in a nutshell and somebody who wants to uh, get results. All right. Now other people are, would look at me. Okay. And this is, this is the part of leadership too, that we, we could go down that bunny trail is that like, you got to appreciate that person if you're not that person. Mm-hmm. And me as somebody who's a change catalyst, when I look at somebody who's more quiet, more introverted, uh, more thoughtful, uh, more worried about how people feel and are treated versus like a huge result, you know, like I'm going to tilt towards the result and somebody else might tilt towards how are people going to be affected? Right. Mm -hmm. So I might look at them and say, they're so different from me. What is their problem? (laughs) They don't have a problem. And when they look at me, I don't have a problem. The problem is we don't utilize each other. And so the, the, you know, the integrity piece of it is, is that you first learn who you are. If you're a change catalyst, if you are a structure, a mastermind, if you are a quiet genius, or if you are a cross pollinator or a connection. So you figure out what you are. So there's personality, but then you look around the entire model and you say to yourself, which character trait, if I worked on, would help me have more balance in my life? And in my leadership. So the the way the model set up is I'm a change catalyst in the quiet genius, which obviously I'm not a quiet gal. Um, that's who I need to also have that part of me. I, I got to mm-hmm. shut up every once in a while and sit quietly and think about things. And so when I coach people, I help them figure out which one they are. I help them look across the model, identify a character trait, and then put together a strategy usually a habit that they're going to practice that helps them gain that character trait. So for example, um, in my own life, the quiet genius. So one of the things that, that I started doing about 15 years ago that has radically changed Nicole Greer is I have quiet time every morning. I get up at 5 a.m., seven days a week, sit in this chair right, right there in that chair, and I read very healthy things. I... Um, have, do this thing called centering prayer. And I am quiet for like an hour and a half. So now when I come out, that vibrancy is like toned down a little bit. Right. And then I'm more aware of when to bring it up and when to bring it down. And that's, that's the magic of coaching is figuring out all that stuff, putting in a habit in place that you can, the, what the experience of you is much better. 
So tying back what I said, that powerful question, you know, what is it like to experience you? Like, I want you to be vibrant, but not obnoxious. And that sounds fantastic because that actually is, it's so natural for you to be vibrant and communicative. And so to be quiet is a little bit unnatural. So it takes no energy at all or no thought at all to become vibrant, but it does take some energy to become quiet. I know I've been in meetings where if you're doing brainstorming, the people that don't say anything often have some great ideas. And sometimes the ones that talk a lot want to roll right over the meeting and get it done and, you know, not give those folks a chance, but you have to have that integrity or the self discipline to just say, okay, what do you think about John or Susie or whomever and get their thoughts and be quiet and shut up so they can tell you what their thoughts are. <laughs> That's exactly right. I, so I can tell you a quick story about that. Can I tell you a quick story about that? Please. Okay. So I was working with a young lady and, um, and unfortunately, I don't know about you, Steve, but I get given people sometimes who are in trouble. They're like, mm -hmm. We got you got to work with this person because it's trouble. And so, you know, typically or what I was trained when I got my coaching certificate is like, you're going to work with the high performers. And I, I love working with those people. But a lot of times, you know, leaders give me a give me a, an employee that's, that's got this great skill, but like is missing the integrity piece. Like they can't see past whatever they're really successful at, you know? Mm -hmm. And so long story short, I met with this young woman and we met at this halfway, you know, two hours halfway between the two of us because she wanted to meet me in person. I said, okay, whatever. So I drive two hours to go meet this gal and we sit down. And my first question is, what is it like to experience you? And she just starts bawling, bless her heart. And so I said, okay, so I've struck a nerve <laughs> right out of the gate. And, and she says, well, I guess I'm just a, you know, a B-I-T-C-H. And I said, oh, well, tell me why that would be true. Okay. So another powerful question, tell me why that would not be true. You know? So again, she immediately has to talk about her character, right? Well, long, long story short, the person that was the leader before her was like letting the the, the uh, employees kind of do what the employees wanted to do. This gal came in and she has this personality, which is called a mastermind or a structure. So she all of a sudden comes in and she's like, this is the process. This is the procedure. This is what we're doing. And this is how we'll do it. And I'm all about by the book and blah, blah, blah. And these people are like, what's going on, you know, and they're all upset and uptight and they report her. Okay. She's not doing anything wrong. She's just not doing it in a way where she can connect. Cause if you look at the tilt model and we could, I could send you the model if you want to put it in the show notes, but if you look across the model, the opposite way she needed to tilt was towards the connection. So you know, and they always tell you, well, they don't always tell you, I re, I'm going to take those words back, cut that out. Uh, you should know not to change everything in the first week when you get a new position, you should observe. <laughs> but she came in and she came from a different location, same job there, ran a ship tight as tight as could be, made numbers that her people loved her because they knew exactly what to expect because she had solid rules and regulations and she 
but she loved on them in a way after they got results. But when she got to this group, there were no results. There was no organization. She just like, <clears throat> so I was like, okay, you got to back your train way up sister. And you need to connect with these people. Now here's the thing. She's looking at them like, well, they're slack. They don't follow the rule. I'm like, not their fault. You got to help them. I see that's a lot of times what leaders don't understand. It's like they only know what they know. So you got to <laughs> teach them something new. And so, yep. long story short, she's doing great and they uh, love her. Fantastic. And yeah, and several you know, people were, left. It's okay. They were trained to behave that way. That's so, exactly right. So, what, how can you blame them for being trained to do something differently? Well, I know right. Mr. Sanchez has been very quiet here for the last. 50 minutes or so and uh, i'm sure he's anxious to ask a couple of like questions like a magic trick he just, <laughs> <laughs> just showed right up i've been taking, so, taking notes john why don't you uh i'm sure you have a couple questions to ask nicole what's yes. on your mind i'm curious um part of the way that i got into what i do now is through what i would look at as a a pretty big failure and what i learned from that so i'm curious if yeah. you have any favorite failures or things that maybe you first thought were not such a great thing that you really got a lot out of in retrospect in, in learning from? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've failed a lot, um, but I try to fail forward. Right. And so we hear this thing fail forward, but it's like, that's the part of learning from your mistakes. I actually have like a little phrase I use all the time because, because here's the, here's the truth, John. People really hate failure um, because th they have their ego pops up, right? And they don't want to look stupid. And and see, that's why we're not living out our mission and our vision and being vibrant is because we don't want to look stupid. <laughs> and so we got to really tap down our ego. Um, so I think you know when you when when you fail, um, it's like admitting. I failed, but then like surveying the people that were involved. Right. And like, um, and I, I, I have a coach. Let me just say this. Every coach has a coach should have a coach or they're a big fat hypocrite. Okay. Yep. And so I have a coach and my, one of the, my coach is Kim Butler, but, um, she, her coach is Dan Sullivan. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Dan Sullivan before, but he's amazing. And, um, and one of the things that he says is if you fail, you should just, sit down and do an experience transformer. And so, you know, when I, when I fail, I sit down and I look at what was my fault? <laughs> what, you know, what in here was my fault? So one of the biggest, biggest things I did um, that was a failure in my company is I actually had some coaches work alongside me um, for a period of time. And um, I think where I failed the most is that they didn't have the same, um, I mean, these women were seriously intelligent, um, but they didn't have the same entrepreneurial um, chutzpah as I have. And so um, I got angst about their willingness to do the things I was doing, but I didn't set expectations. So we were talking about expectations just a little while ago. I didn't set them I was too nice about it, I guess. So, so the master coach that I worked with, he said, um, uncommunicated expectations are a premeditated opportunity to be disappointed. Ooh. 
Isn't that good? That is so stinking good. I'll say it again. We're recording this. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uncommunicated expectations are a premeditated opportunity to be disappointed. So I was disappointed because I was like, we're going to build this business. But like my introspective of building the business and the retrospective to the present, completely different. Doesn't make those people wrong or bad just different and my fault my fault that book the carol dweck book that you mentioned yeah as you started talking about that i thought that that growth mindset is is kind of underpinning all that another thing i was wondering about as as you were talking about your kind of your your career and getting into coaching and all the training you've done and specific things you do when you work with clients the coaching industry now is a pretty well-known industry. There are a lot of people that are in the industry, maybe looking to get into the industry. When I was a kid, I don't remember coaching being a thing other than like an athletic coach, right? For a, it, it maybe wasn't. a sports It's team. like in the eighties. Like what, you were what probably did, like trying to kiss a girl in the eighties or something. That was your main priority. <laughs> so what did you, when you were a kid or a teenager, what did you want to do when you grew up? I'm guessing not coach because it probably wasn't around, right? It wasn't a thing. No, you know what I wanted to be? I wanted to be a stewardess, which is called a flight attendant now. But uh, I wanted to get on a plane and go somewhere. So just telling my age, I'm 54 years old. So when I was growing up, I grew up everywhere. Um, My crazy father had five aunts and I lived with all of them over and over and over again. So, um, so that's another story. But but one of one of my aunts lived in Missouri. And so we got on a plane on a TWA that just tells you how long ago this was. And like those ladies back then, they wore their little pillbox hat in the whole thing. And oh, I just thought this is the best job ever. And I, maybe that's why I got into the restaurant business, because that's like serving people. But I just thought oh, you get on a plane, serve people and you wind up in wherever. So that's what so I wanted to do. So you kind of answered the second thing that I was thinking related to this, which was what what about that that you wanted to do when you grew up is kind of a common thread with what you do now, which you, the serving people it seems like an obvious one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I got an email right before we got on this podcast and this young woman, I'm coaching her, uh, COVID made her job go away after 21 years. She had 21 loyal years over here and her job's gone. So she calls me, oh, I mean, like, I'm, she's crying, I'm crying. I'm like, oh my God, we got to fix this. And so long story short, she emailed me and uh, she said, I got a new job. And I didn't do anything. I didn't do nothing. She did all the work. You know, we set up the introspective, the retrospective, and she did her stuff. And I emailed her and said, did you do your stuff? And she's like, yes. And boom. She put some energy out and somebody hired her and she's so stinking happy. It's like the best Christmas present I've gotten. So like that's serving people, you know? Yeah. All right. One last question and then I'll, I'll turn it back over to Steve. Cause like I said, I'm a curious George. I could ask you questions all day, oh, especially I love after it. what you shared with us. Um, I've heard Tony Robbins say, um, you know, when he asked people about, um, sort of stories they have going on in their head, right? That, that sort of guide what they're doing in life. And, and oftentimes it's bad advice given by people with good intentions, right? Like our parents, for example. My yeah. parents told me, my dad was in the army for 30 years and his advice was, hey, you get a good job with a big company, you work there for 30 years and you retire, right? 
sincerely meant to be good advice in the current world, terrible advice, right? Do you terrible. see any common advice that's sort of common in the coaching industry that you think maybe is, is out there in social media or media in general that maybe is not the best advice? Mm. Well, okay, so I'm going to go into a very dangerous place. So earlier I said that I ask a lot of powerful questions, but I do ask permission a lot to tell people things or to advise. But like if you looked at the rule book of coaching, that's not supposed to happen unless you ask permission. But I do it a lot because the reality is, you know, I got more years on me than typically the guy or gal sitting across from me, you know. And, um, and it's usually informed by research or experience or something I've read or whatever. So, um, you know, in, from a coaching perspective, you know, not to tell people what to do, but sometimes people need like a little, you know, like it's helping somebody on a bicycle, you know, yeah, like, <laughs> try this. And then if you hate it, let's not do it, you know, but like give it a whirl. You know, so I, I think that's part of it. And I, and I do think that that whole thing about get a good job, stay there 30 years, I, I do think that that's still kind of out there. Uh, I know that the statistics say that the millennials are hopping around more. Um, I'm not sure that's really millennials. I think it's probably the companies they work for and that our millennials um, are smarter because they've grown up with technology. So they know how to go get information. I mean, back in the day, we didn't, we didn't, we couldn't Google companies. We had to hear from our dad's cousin's brother that this company was down the road or whatever. Um, we grabbed and the so encyclopedia just, that was outdated in the, in the hallway. <laughs> that's right. So we had the Funkin' Wagnall. It's like, do y'all know that word, that, that yeah. name? It was white and it was about that big. It wasn't the big Britannica. It was like, this, oh my God, I love the Funkin Wagnall. Anyway, <laughs> but I would say, you know, it's still out there. And if you want a job that that's out there or you want a career that's out there, you can, you absolutely have every tool available to you. You just have to do the, the W-O-R-K, you know, to get it, get where you want to go. Yep. Yep. Great questions, John. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Uh, Thank and you. great answers, Nicole. Yeah, I think the uh, the component of that security is that job that we're working for 30 years. You don't need to like it. You just need to work there for 30 years. And then you can retire and do something you really want to do. Well, yeah, that's crazy. Talk. It, it really is. But that's, that's that security component of it'll give you, you know, a roof and and a TV set, and what more do you want from life? You know, <laughs> I guess. Right. And two anyway. weeks of vacation a year. <laughs> exactly. That's well, right. In today's day and age, one of the things that has been so prevalent is the gig economy and people having side gigs and, and the opportunity to build something on the internet part time with very little money and, and no income. What are your I'll say advice, advices or thoughts as it relates to people pursuing their own, I'll say their own gigs on that, in that approach, in that, uh, in that way. What are okay. your thoughts if somebody says, Hey, you know, I got this full-time job, but I can't leave it because I, my family depends on it. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's totally doable. Only thing is, is you're going to have to go into what's called the creative tension zone. <laughs> 
okay? People want to like stop this and start that. That's not how it works, okay? So it, it's, it's just like being on a diet, you know, like I want to go from fat to skinny, okay? It doesn't <laughs> happen overnight, okay? You have to go through the creative tension zone. You have to lift weights. You have to become exhausted. You have to get up earlier. You got There's stuff you got to do. And it's on top of what you're already doing, okay? And doesn't last forever because eventually you will become skinny if you do the right things in the tension zone, right? Well, the same thing is with building a business. And so, you know, it's just about the amount of effort. Uh, so going back to Carol Dweck, one of her major principles is um, effort is the path to mastery. Okay. So you got to put that effort in. you got to put the time in. Uh, there's a book um, called... Um, the tipping point. Help me, y'all. Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Read that book. Read that book. It's a great book. And he's got a video on YouTube. Look, look it up. He'll be out there. Um, but he just says, you know, t uh, many of these people, and I think even Wayne Gretzky's in that book, isn't he? I think so. He is certainly in his Outliers book. I'm not sure if he's in Okay. That maybe that's what it is. Anyway, he talks about like you practice for 10,000 hours, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, shoots, you know, in, wherever he was in North Carolina and he can now he's going to be, you know, whatever the multi-champion Chicago, whatever. So you got to put the effort in. Now, as an entrepreneur, um, you know, you are going to have to leave your day job at five o'clock, come home. Uh, you know, kiss the children, make dinner, put everybody to bed. And then from, you know, 830 until 1030, do two hours on your business, but you can totally do it. And I'm going to give you a quick example. So I had a gal who came to me and she said, I want to do this thing. I love elderly people. And I was like, well, good. Cause that's your coach. But anyways, <laughs> she, says, she says, she says, I love elderly people. And my father just passed away and we had the most horrific time when he transferred from his very long time home into the assisted living okay and she couldn't you know handle all this while he was still alive so she's telling me the story after he passed and she said i think there's a business in that she said the problem was i was negotiating with my dad about this piece of furniture and this picture and this knickknack and this thing and this da, 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 da. and she said but like if somebody had the personality to come in and help dad or mom transition from their home and pack things up, tell them where they were going, bring the, you know, the right amount of things and work through that, that would be a great service. And I said, well, what would it take to start that service? There's the introspective. Well, long story short, one of the things she figured, I would have to have somebody to do it with me. I don't think I could do it alone because one person talks to the person transitioning and one person's over here working, cleaning up and getting stuff organized. These girls have an incredible business today. Now, they all figured it out after hours. But they are doing this full time. And like the baby boomers all and whatever and the aging of America, this is a great business. So uh, you have to, you just have to do that extra work there in the middle. That's just the way it is. You can't avoid it. Thank you so much. Fantastic and excellent advice, Nicole. I'm going to ask you one final question. This is kind okay. of our closing question. And that is, do you have a favorite quote that you've 
often referred to or one that's very memorable for you that uh, you'd like to share with our audience today? Yeah, so I usually have it on a PowerPoint when I'm giving a presentation, but I pulled it up and I Googled it. But um, so Margaret Mead, I don't know if people know this, but she was an anthropologist. Um, and if you go, I love New York City, by the way. So if you're in New York City, call me. I want to come over. So uh, I love New York City. And so the last time I was there was with my daughter two years ago in May. And we went to the Natural Museum of History. And this is like there's a whole movie, Night in the Museum. Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that museum, right, with the dinosaur skeletons and all that stuff. So there's a whole wing about Margaret Mead. And I like read every little plaque like for hours <laughs> because she's the most amazing woman. This is from Margaret Mead. It says, never doubt that a small group, okay, a small group of thoughtful, committed individuals, people in integrity, right, can change the world. In fact, it is the only thing that ever has. I believe that. Oh my God, I believe that. Many, many examples of that. Thank you yeah. so much, Nicole. Yeah. This has been just a great, great privilege for me and, and pleasure to, to talk to you and get to know a little bit more about your coaching program. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. You gave us, given us some great insights and uh, I, I'm a big fan of that quote you gave us at the end. Okay. So thank you awesome. very much.